Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one-and-a-half-cubic-foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. In episode 10, now that it's over, I'll take a look back at the Celtics winning streak and what it means long term. Is Kyrie an MVP candidate? Is Tyron Lue right in regards to the amount of minutes LeBron is playing as late in his career compared to the all-time greats? OKC and Golden State faced off this week with OKC winning, but they came back the other night and lost a very close game to Detroit. So overall, is Westbrook to blame for OKC's late-game struggles? Why are they boosting Alonzo Ball's assist totals at home? All this coming up next on the Off the Glass podcast. This is the Off the Glass podcast, bringing you a fresh, thought-provoking, intelligent perspective to the game of basketball. This is your host, Z. Thanks for joining me again today on episode 10. And we're going to jump right into it as this week saw an end to one of the hottest streaks we've seen in the NBA early in the season as the Celtics lost to the Miami Heat on Wednesday night with a final score of 104 to 98. It's important to point out, though, that during this streak that five of their wins were the comeback variety. Some of the uh, some of the leads, they had to overcome double digit um, numbers. They had, um, but they also had during this streak, and one of the reasons why they've been able to rattle off these kind of wins is the fact that they had the they have the number one defense, and they're one of also the best rebounding teams in the league, which is something they struggled with last year, and thought that they would struggle with even this year coming into the season. Even though they added Gordon Haywood, I didn't think they was going to rebound the ball like this. But Brian uh, Brad Stevens definitely has these guys. Um, buying into the system and right now they're hanging their hat on defense and it's something to be said that when and I keep saying this over and over again it's just a recurrent theme when you look at some of these teams play versus other teams is you know how it's important to have a competent organization and have a culture that just breeds winning and breeds greatness and that's what they have right now going on over there in Boston they just really know how to maximize and get the best out of their players and it's you know one person can't take all the credit because it starts through the whole organization at all levels you got to have a, a sound owner that knows how to hire people and if basketball isn't their strength they know how to hire the basketball people and um, let them run the, the team while they deal with the day-to-day and the, the business side of things and Danny Ainge has done a fantastic job we already know about the stockpile and the picks and the trades that he's made but you know, who saw the Celtics taking Jalen Brown at number three last year? I remember that pick was a very controversial pick. And not that Jalen Brown wasn't going to go high or that he wasn't a lottery pick, but nobody saw him as the number three overall pick. Uh, it was definitely more of a lock this year. It looks like he, you know, made off again like a, a bandit by able to trade the number one pick to Philly, who took Markel Fultz, who's had the injured shoulder, and we haven't heard from or seen him since. And then they took the sure thing, in my opinion, and Jason Tatum, who's right now uh, probably runner-up to the rookie of the year because of the fantastic season that 
Ben Simmons is having, but it's been the the play of Tatum and Brown, which has really propelled the Celtics to this kind of level. And I stated this, that one of the best things that could have came out of an injury as horrifying, as gruesome as Hayward was, was the fact that now these young players were going to get some great reps. They were going to be forced to come in and step up and play. And that's what has has turned out to be true, and that's what's going on right now. Now, when they add Haywood to the mix next year, I mean, they're going to be a really, really scary team. Also during this run, because they had started the season without him, they got the the Morris twin back, integrated him into the offense. Um, Kyrie, of course, I mean, he's been an MVP candidate throughout this whole season. And I, I said going into the season, I thought that this would be a great fit for him. And that the fact that he picked a team like Boston and some of the other organizations, the more stable organizations in the league. I knew that Kyrie was serious about winning. Now, I will say this is there is some possessions and throughout the game where you can tell that Brad Steeler Stevens has kind of tailored the offense towards Kyrie's strengths and kind of let him go off on his, you know, kind of do Kyrie Irving's things. But, you know, somebody had posted on Twitter and um, the guy's name was uh, Micah Adams, and I'm pretty sure other people had this, but I just pulled it from his Twitter page, so I'm going to give him um, credit. But his stats uh, in the final five minutes have just been insane during this streak. He was averaging overall right now, though, he's averaging 22 points, three rebounds, five assists. He's also leading the league in steals. He's shooting 46% from the field and 37% from three. But when he got to the final five minutes, he has a total of 65 points in these games, He's shooting 24-39 from the field with 32 of those points coming in the paint. He has 10 assists, no turnovers, and then has a plus-minus of 40. Wow. So I answered in the in the intro, asked the question, is Kyrie Irving an MVP candidate? The obvious answer is yes. Um, right now, depending on who you ask, it's a three-way race right now between him, James Harden, and, of course, LeBron James, which is doing something unprecedented that we haven't seen in the NBA this late in somebody's career in year 15. He's he's making a push to win that MVP and would be the first person to win one this late in his career. But we'll get to that in a second. But the Boston story has been a fabulous story. Um, I, I initially said when they beat Golden State, do I think they could beat LeBron or ultimately Golden State in a four-game series? I'm still leaning towards no. I just, man, it's just hard to bet against the greatness of LeBron James in a seven-game series. But with it being so dysfunctional over there in Cleveland, I'm starting to wonder, do they have enough to even beat Boston? Because when you're playing defense like this, I mean, there's no question you're going to have a shot and you're going to be in every game late because of the way they defend. And now they're really leaning on Isaiah Thomas because Derrick Rose has taken a leave of absence from the team. Uh, There's been rumors stating that the the injuries and everything else is finally catching up with him and it's really affecting him mentally. Um, I'm always say, man, it's funny how when, you know, you treat people in in life poorly, you do things poorly, you know, you got hanger-ons, you got leeches, you know, grown men banking on his success, giving him bad advice, and you listening to these people, you're getting hurt. You know, you're stressed out. You got all this other stuff going on off the court, you know, the court cases and all this. And now, you know, it's finally catching up with you. And I always say, man, you put out bad energy, you pat, you plant bad seeds, you know, it's all going to come to fruition. Or as Michael Mech said famously, the chickens have come home to roost. 
Now, I'm not necessarily wishing anything uh, per se bad on, on, on Rose, but I'm just stating facts, man. You know, so hopefully he realizes what's going on is is not going to help him long term, not even so much for his basketball career, but for his personal life going on. And hopefully he's able to clean up some of these messes and some of these distractions that he has going on in his life and he can come back mentally strong and um, still uh, contribute in the league. Otherwise, he's going to be another person who we are going to say shoulda, coulda, woulda. And um, what a shame it was for his career to end like that. But, I mean, with that, Wade, older, uh, Thompson's been out, Love's been out. I I'm starting to think that Boston might be able to pull this off late in the season. I'm not 100% sure because, again, like I stated, this is not the NCAA tournament. They got to still beat LeBron um, four times. But I, I feel stronger this week than I did last week um, when they had knocked off Golden State just because of the dysfunction and the lack of talent and people over there in Cleveland. So, you know, hats off to to Boston for this streak. Um, you know, they will probably get back right back on their winning ways um, the next time they come out on the court, but they're definitely off to a strong, encouraging start. Now, I kind of briefly touched on LeBron and, you know, it was – Tyrone Lou earlier this week has, was basically saying, like, LeBron's not playing a lot of minutes. And, you know, I played with Jordan in Washington when he was on when he was 40 and he was averaging this many minutes a game. So I said, let me let me look at the stats and let's see if there's any validity to what Tyrone Lou is saying. Now, Carl Malone, because he mentioned Carl Malone, too, in the article in, in not the article, the interview in year 15. Carl Malone, uh, which was 1999-2000 for him, he actually shot 50% from the field, averaged 25 points, 9.5 rebounds, 3 assists. He finished fourth in MVP voting to Shaq, who won his first and only MVP. KG finished second, and Alonzo Mourning finished third. So not a bad comparison. So I didn't really know that. I was kind of shocked because I was like, Carl Malone, was he really putting up those kind of numbers? So, yeah, you could tell that year he was actually – potentially an MVP candidate. I mean, to finish in the top five and actually finish fourth is impressive. But he mentioned Jordan, so I had to go and look at Jordan. And I kind of uh, remember the, the Wizards as Jordan um, playing just about every game, the first year and second season. I remember he had the knee trouble, and they was actually fighting just to make the playoffs. And they didn't even make the playoffs his last year, but he played 37 minutes a game. Um, out of 82, he played uh, 67, started 67, and then he uh, shot by 44% from the field, averaged 20 points, six rebounds, three assists, and he wasn't an MVP candidate. And then just kind of to throw out another person, because I know the only other person I could think of that had this kind of longevity late in their career was the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He played 80 games out of 82. He shot 57% from the field. Averaged 21 points, seven rebounds, three assists. He actually finished fourth in the MVP that year. Um, Bird actually won the MVP. Bernard King finished second, and his teammate Magic finished third. So, all in all, I mean, you got Carmelo, Malone, you got Kareem, two of the two of the greats at their position, who was able to play at a high level. So, I mean, technically, Tyron Lewis is, is is correct, but like, again. Sometimes you could use stats and you could use numbers to frame arguments. And the one part that he did forget to add, and to me this is where his argument comes up short-sighted, is the fact that if you add in LeBron's minutes from the playoffs, he's played a whole nother two seasons. So technically 
LeBron has already played 17 years, and he's technically in year 18. And then you add in the Olympics. And remember, uh, the the first round of the playoffs used to be a a best-of-five series, so that takes the number of games um, off, too, especially if you were on a top team like Kareem was. I'm I'm pretty sure that most of those five-game series, they either won 3 nothing or they at least probably won 3-1. to one. So that's going to make the toes a little bit shorter. So all in all, bottom line, uh, Tyron Lue is the coach, but he isn't the coach. And there's no shot on him. It's just that when you have a great all-time great like LeBron James, I mean, he pretty much subs himself in and out and comes out and sees his minutes as, they, as, they, as he feels comfortable with playing. So it's going to have to be up to LeBron to decide that, hey, you know, I'm going a little too hard right now. I don't want to burn myself out and – the difference, and it's a big obvious difference, is that he had Kyrie Irving to lean on through the season where games where he would play, but Kyrie would kind of do his thing, and then Kevin Love would really kind of play off Kyrie Irving, but they don't have the luxury this year because Kyrie is not there, and then Isaiah Thomas is hurt. So we don't even know that when Isaiah comes back, is he going to be the same Isaiah? Because as I keep stating, this is a hip injury that does not get better with rest. He should have had surgery. I know it's tough for me to say, and I don't blame him. If I was in the same situation, I would have rolled the dice because he's trying to get that big payday. Up to this point in his career, he has been badly, badly underpaid. So he's trying to get that max deal, and then maybe he'll get the surgery or maybe it's something that he can always, you know, kind of play through. But, again, Tyrone Lue's argument was lacking perspective. Um, It was kind of just – being dishonest because he knows deep down inside that LeBron's playing too many minutes. And again, it's going to be up to LeBron to decide to to tone it back a little bit. And, you know, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast and he made a great point on how, you know, Kobe was going at this, you know, ridiculous pace the year that he actually tore his Achilles. Now, the only difference is, is that the fact that I don't know if Kobe was keeping his, his self in the same shape as LeBron uh, does. Now, Kobe, at that point in his career, I will say he, you know, was reported he was taking his diet more serious. He was eating right. You know, he kind of changed up his exercise regimen, the way he was lifting weights and getting in shape. But, you know, I'm the point I'm making is, what about all the years before when he wasn't really focused on that? See, LeBron, one thing I think that is, is going to really help him long term is the fact that he recognized early on, I mean, very early in his career, that his body was the most important thing. And if I'm making all this kind of money, I need to invest a lot of money in, into into my body. And that's what he has done. So that might save him from getting one of those kind of uh, injuries. But the point that Bill Simmons was making that, you know, once Kobe got that major injury, you know, once you get any type of major injury and there's somebody that's, that's technically had one where it keeps you out for a few months, you know, I had a finger issue and then I had a growing issue. You can't work out. I mean, you can't stay in shape. So, if LeBron, God forbid, suffers one of those kind of injuries, we'll we'll see if he's able to come back. But if he's not able to keep himself going in those tip-top shape and doing those those tough workouts that keeps his body at the level that he's able to play right now, that's where we might see the decline. And then in retrospect, you know, everybody's going to try to look back and say, well, maybe, you know, LeBron should have rested more minutes. He should have did this. He should have did that. But, again, only time will tell. My personal opinion LeBron needs to dial back some of these minutes, get a little bit more rest. But like I said, he's pushing himself to have to beat. Like last night, he had to push himself, and he put up an incredible number, triple-double number. I think he had like 16 rebounds, 13 assists, and I think 36 points just for them to barely beat Charlotte. So, 
you know, it's not a very good team right now over there overall. So the question is going to have to be, what's an acceptable spot for them in the playoffs so they can try to get LeBron some rest and maybe even lose some of these games that they're fighting hard to win. OKC and Kevin Durant and Golden State matched up again this Wednesday as Kevin Durant made his return again, once again, to OKC. Uh, OKC actually put on a really good performance. They beat Golden State 108 to 91. Uh, Westbrook scored scored over uh, 30. He almost notched a triple-double, and it was actually somebody put a, a video on Twitter, which was hilarious, of Westbrook out there chasing those triple-doubles and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry on the bench laughing at him when he got mad that Steven Adams didn't, didn't uh, shoot the shot so he can try to potentially get that other triple-double. And that's why I said last year, in my opinion, he was not the MVP. If you watched a lot of those games, I don't care if he was averaging a triple-double to me, I like quality over quantity. I mean, you know, call me bougie, call me stuck up, but it doesn't make sense to have a lot of something and it be average or below average. I'd rather have a small amount of something, but it'd be of a higher quality. And a lot of those games, you could tell they were moving out of the way so he can get rebounds. And the statistic that did it to me where I felt like Harden should have won it last year, and I know the naysayers are going to see, well, look what Harden did in the playoffs. And I agree, but the MVP is voted for the regular season, not playoff play. And if that's the case... Him and Russell Westbrook had the same, just about the same stats. And Harden took almost 200 shots less than Westbrook to average the same amount of points. And again, it was obvious that he wasn't making his teammates better because look at the success that Oladipo and Sabonis have had in in Indiana since moving on from OKC. So, you know, even though they won this game, it, it was just one of those games where emotions were really well. They were knocking down shots. Um, the, the interesting thing about uh, OKC, as their record now stands at, hold on, let me pull it up real quick because they won last night. No, excuse me, they lost last night uh, to the Pistons. Now they're 8-10. and 10. I had stated when I first started doing the research for this podcast that they were 0-5 against the, uh, uh, again, in their own conference. They haven't won a conference game, and they're actually now 3-8 and eight against the West. And then they lost to the Pistons, which is a East Coast team. And, you know, when you just look at the stat line, which which I did, again, I, I, I'm going to keep saying this. It's like a broken record. Carmelo Anthony is just taking too many shots for them. He took 24 shots and was 9 for 24. Russbrook was 10 for 29, 1 for 10 from 3. I'm not mad at Westbrook shooting because he's clearly their best player. But like I said... Paul George needs to be the number two option. Melo needs to stop playing like his ISO hoodie Melo. Melo, fantastic talent. One of the best offensive scorers, players we've ever seen. But it's now to the point where for them to be successful, ultimately, and contend for a championship, he's going to have to take a step back. He's going to have to dial it back. Late in that game, again, the, the late game execution was poor. No ball movement, no player movement. I mean, it just sounds like a broken record at this point with, with OKC overall. And before I get to the, the, the constant of this issue, Melo, as I'm looking at it, had a plus minus of negative four. Paul George was negative 11. Westbrook was plus zero, so he broke even. So your three best players, uh, two of them were combined negative 15, and then you had another one that was plus zero. So your, technically, your three best players was negative 15. I mean, that's just not acceptable, especially when you're talking about that kind of talent on the team. And I keep saying, man, keep saying, they're going to have to do something offensively. So at this point, I'm convinced Westbrook has to be the problem. 
you change Scott Brooks. So at first we always heard about how Scott Brooks was. You know, he, you know, he's a player's coach. The, the players like him. They respect him. He knows some things, but X's and O's. And, you know, we talked about in the finals that year how they just kept playing Kendrick Perkins and how it was hurting the lineups and the spacing and all this. But then, you know, Harden moves on. Durant has now moved on. Ibaka moves on. So the only person left from them teams is Westbrook. And I'm convinced that as great of a talent Westbrook is, I mean, he's the type of player a coach would love to have, go to war with you, going to fight hard, going to compete, run through a brick wall with you. And that's all well and good. But to win championships when you're playing against other greats, other masters of your craft, you got to have some head to go along with it. And what I mean is you got to have a brain. You got to have a brain to go along with it, man. And I'm convinced that the coaching staff, I mean, they have to see this. I figure, I feel like Scott Brooks had to see this where they have sets because I watch the games. They have sets where they come down, the ball goes from side to side, or if it doesn't go from side to side, they have some nice movement, and then it gets the defense shifting, so then one of their best players can catch it and have space to ISO and go one-on-one and do what they do best. But for some reason, late in games, it bogs down, a lot of quick shots, bad shots, no ball movement, at a lot of the end of the shot clock top shots, and then they walk away and they lose another close game like they did last night. Detroit won 99 to 98, and the difference of that game was Detroit was able to kind of execute down the stretch and get some good shots. They also got bailed out by a couple fouls, but overall, again, as talented as this team is uh, with those two, with those three, the bench isn't really good. Um, that's why, to me, I wouldn't have traded for Melo. They gave up Canner, a really good bench piece for Melo, and I just feel like Melo is about four years past his prime at this point. And ultimately, this team is going to be a team that makes the playoffs, uh, possibly gets out of the first round with the matchup they, they see, but I don't even think they're going to get out of the first round. We're going to look back at the experiment. They got Russell to sign long-term, so I guess that's a success. But Paul George is going to be moving on. And more than likely, Melo's going to be moving on as well. But to me, it, the the main issue there is Westbrook. And if Westbrook is not going to be one of those kind of players to ultimately really buy in and make great decisions, late game decisions, the things that really win championships, then he's just going to be a great talent, a phenomenal scorer, a triple-double threat, probably the best athlete we ever seen at the point guard position as far as his speed. Uh, he jumps out the gym, his athleticism. Um, but um, if he doesn't get the other part, which is the mental part of the game together, again, he's just going to go down as a, a person that had a lot of talent, won an MVP, maybe some other awards, was a multi-year all-star, made a bunch of money. But, again, when you're talking about those who get to become great ones and win championships, it's the mind, it's the mental that, that separates them from everybody else. Unless you just happen to be uber-dominant like a Wilt Chamberlain like a Shaquille O'Neal, but like I said, I would even argue that Wilt and Shaq underachieved. If Wilt wasn't chasing stats some years as far as wanting to lead the league and assist like silly things, um, he really went out and just really tried to snatch his, your heart from you. Wilt would have won unbelievable more MVPs probably than Kareem. He would have won more championships than um, Bill Russell because as it stands, I'm kind of rusty on this, but I think Wilt only won two chips. I think he won one in Philly and he got one in L.A., while Russell gets 11. I mean, it just sounds silly. Just like Shaq wins four chips when he was by far the most dominant player in the NBA 
one of the most dominant players outside of world the, the league has ever seen. He walks away with just one MVP, never legged the league in, in, in rebounding, and only gets four championships. And then goes on the, on the record several times talking about not coming into shape and making comments like, I got injured uh, on company time, so I'm going to rehab on company time. So, you know, again, even somebody like those two who could have been I mean, Will already holds a bunch of records, so I'm not trying to nitpick, but I'm just saying it to make a point that it's those kind of intangibles that makes you an all-time great and ultimately allows you to live up to your full potential and your full talent. Lastly, I wanted to cover real quick. I mean, I don't want to talk about him all the time because obviously the news talks about him, especially his dad enough, but this story was crazy that I saw on the jump a TV show that comes on ESPN, how Alonzo Ball, when he plays at home, they're just giving him assists that are not assists. Like, he's passing the ball to guys. They're taking two, three, sometimes four dribbles to create shots, and they're giving him assists. And see, this is why people feel like the NBA is rigged. You know, they want to push certain players so they can make money and then ultimately have them be the only ones to be successful because you have a home crowd or home uh, team doing silly stuff like this and it reminded me of one of my coaching jobs when I coached at this junior college in Cicero Morton Junior College and how the coach who was the head coach his son was actually on the team was the starting point guard and he was actually just adding assist totals after the game because a lot of times at this level junior college the stats weren't always kept correctly so he would go back and just add assists. So literally, I'm not even bullshitting. There'd be games where he will have two, maybe three assists, but then you look at the stat column, he'll have 13. So consequently, he was actually leading the area and one, and I want to say at one point, even leading the nation in assists. But like I said, all truth that all dirt that's done in the dark must come to light. So when his son went on to play at another level, a D1 level, you know, they looking at these stats, he didn't do too well because he wasn't that kind of player. So in the end, all he ended up doing was um hurting his son. And um it was just fascinating to me how he was just sitting there just really just giving this dude assists. And it's not going to help the player. All it does is hurt the player because it gives uh, Lonzo Ball false confidence. Again, like I said, if there's really a such thing as an NBA G League, which is a developmental league, I don't think it does the man any harm, the young player any harm to go down and play at that level, get some confidence, and then come back up and ready to join the Lakers. Because right now, he's simply not ready. He's just not ready. And it's just amazing how politics and how certain things, you know, play itself out when it comes to making decisions for these players long term. Where, like I said, ultimately, I think he'd be better served if he just went on and just went down to the G League and played. But doesn't look like that's going to happen. He's going to have a tough go of it this year. He's going to have to learn through his struggles, and hopefully, you know, it doesn't hurt him. Just wanted to stop by and recap the week. You know, like I said, we had the exciting game on Wednesday between Golden State and OKC. We saw the Celtics streak come to an end. Um, make sure to follow follow me on Twitter at ZJ at Off the Glass. Follow me on Facebook, Zach Ramey. Uh, make sure to go to Spreaker, S-P-R-E-K, excuse me, S. P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Look up the Off the Glass podcast. You can also go on to iTunes and the podcast column there and find it as well. Make sure to, to subscribe. Make sure to download. If I put it on Facebook, make sure to share it, share it, share it. I love the likes, but we need to get these shares up. 
Again, this is your host, Z. Thanks for listening today. Be safe out there. Peace. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one one-and-a-half cubic foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one one-and-a-half cubic foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.